Hey everybody, welcome, Foxworthy Podcast, Denis 2049. This is the last episode of our Denis Villeneuve series. If you've followed along this whole time, thank you so much for coming along for the ride. It has been a blast. These movies actually were really good. So we have all eight movies now up. This is Arrival from 2016, and now you should be all set to go for Blade Runner 2049. comes out this week as we're releasing this in October 2017. So make sure you check it out, and I hope you've enjoyed the ride. If you have, please go on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, I should say. Rate and review. Give us five stars, and stay tuned for other content. We'll do more movies in the future, more TV shows. We have a Survivor podcast that is very popular, actually. And we will probably have a bonus episode coming later this week before Blade Runner. One more bonus Denis 2049 episode, actually. I'm not going to spoil it here, but stay tuned. Go to thefoxworthypodcast.com to follow along with everything we do. I have lots of writing on there as well. And follow us on Twitter, at FoxworthyPod. That's all I got for today. Enjoy Arrival. Denis Villeneuve movie for the ages. Hello and welcome to the Foxworthy Podcast. We have arrived to our final episode of the Denis 2049 series. No one will forget the day we arrived. My name's Taylor Gaines. We're on the last movie in our series of Denis Villeneuve's filmography. We have reached 2016's arrival. Here to talk one more time as we close the book on Denis Villeneuve, because his career's over after we're done with him, right? Um, Yeah, he goes into death process. Death process. Except for Blade Runner 2049, obviously, which comes out Friday, Thursday, probably, in most places. He knows the future, and he wants to live it anyway. Sam Hetzel. Hello. I'm out here playing a non-zero-sum game, which is apparently a term that exists outside of this movie. Yeah, I, I was pretty sure the term was symbiotic. Symbi- yeah, symbiotic relationship, or symbiosis, or mutualism. That's Yeah, but no, the, the term they were looking for was non-zero-sum game. Yeah. <laughs> Which is dumb because the word is zero-sum game. So what she's saying is what you're not thinking of is a zero-sum game. <laughs> she's a terrible mother and a terrible English person. English, Englishist. Linguist. There you go. So Arrival, despite our best memory, came out in November 2016. Yeah. And was nominated for a lot of Academy Awards. Uh, let's see here. Best Motion Picture, Best Director, Best Screenplay. Best Cinematography, Best Film Editing, Best Sound Mixing, Best Production Design. It was also nominated for Best Sound Editing, which it won. And if anyone can tell me the difference between sound editing and sound mixing, it would change my life. Sound mixing involves music and score, I think. Sound editing is like... I think sound editing is mostly like diegetic sounds, sounds within the the movie. So sound sound mixing mixing would be non-diegetic? Yeah, it incorporates like... uh, the score and that kind of thing or it's completely arbitrary and they just want to give two sound awards which is probably the actual case the, i remember a couple years ago i heard someone say oh well sound mixing is if it sounds cool and sound editing is if it sounds good 
And I was like, that's interesting. That can't be right, but I like it. But it works. Yeah. <laughs> works for me. Like I said, this movie came out in 2016, the 8th movie by Denis Villeneuve. Let me make sure I have that right. We got August 32nd, Maelstrom, Polytechnique, Incendies, Prisoners, Enemy, Sicario, Arrival. It is number 8. There you go. Yeah, go back and listen to those episodes. If you... Don't watch them. You don't need to watch the movie if you listen to the episode. So Arrival is about... The title really says it all, doesn't it? Arrival is about the it day is, the aliens yeah. arrived. About showing up, yeah. Before I before we get into the plot, I'll just give you some of the cool people that were involved. Johan Johansson did Sicario, Prisoners, and Arrival with Villeneuve. And it was written by a guy named Eric Heisserer. Heisserer? I don't know how to say it. It's Heisserer. Heisserer. Uh, apparently they sent him the Incendies script, and he was like, I want to work with that guy. The story itself is based off of a short story by a guy named Ted Chang, and it's called Story of Your Life, which I think is what the movie was reported as being called for years until it actually came out. The director of photography is a guy named Bradford Young, who... This this movie actually is recent enough that I was able to just get the Blu-ray from Redbox. The Blu-ray I actually highly recommend because it has a lot of really cool special features. Bradford Young just made me think of this he's he's also the cinematographer for the upcoming han solo movie uh selma most violent year oscar isaac film from a couple years ago yeah so the reason i brought up the special features is because there's a cool thing with him about filming the movie where he talks about making sure the humans were often filmed in darkness and the aliens were often filmed in light and just get ready for a lot of stuff like that because this movie is one of those rare movies that is just working on like literally every cylinder. Every level. Yeah. Patrice Vermette, we talked about during Enemy a little bit. He did production design for this as well. He's a popular collaborator of uh, Denis Villeneuve. I should mention this guy, Paul Hot, I guess. I don't know. It might be Hote, but he, Hote. he also was nominated Hottie. for an Oscar for the production design along with Patrice Vermette. Joe Walker was the editor. I just mentioned him because I watched a cool thing with him also. Yeah, I mean, this movie, we'll definitely get into this as we go through it. But like we just said, like everything from the cinematography to the sound design to the production design to the visuals to the music to the story itself to the acting is just like it's all working. And it's just such a great movie. I think this might be Villeneuve's best movie. Of the ones we've seen so far, which yeah. is all of them. <laughs> which is all of them. <laughs> yes, I totally agree. Every second of it is so awe-inspiring and beautiful that I just... Even as I was watching it, this is the second time I've seen it because this is the one Villeneuve movie I actually saw in theaters. And even as I was watching it, I was just like, I just want to start over and just watch it again right now. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's, so, it's, it's super interesting because it's not the culmination of every one of his movies, but it takes the best parts of a lot of his movies. Like it takes the the engaging story of prisoners without the the whole children being kidnapped thing, without the stress, I guess. And it takes the the beauty of some of his movies, like Incendies and uh, Enemy, and it and takes a little bit of the dark edge off of it and just makes it like more awesome, more <laughs> having more awe, like awesome in the actual definition, yeah. not the regular uh, definition. Um, and it takes his almost Nolan-like puzzly tendencies and makes it, like, from 
uh, enemy and from uh, prisoners and perfects it. I think. And the other uh, thing I think is really important to mention is it takes the surrealism from enemy and yes, like and doesn't hit you in the face with a giant spider. <laughs> yeah, I do actually. There is a scene in this movie I want to talk about. I was gonna say yeah, the dream that she has. <laughs> the, yeah, but. Yeah, it stars Amy Adams and Jeremy Renner. There's a little bit of Forrest Whitaker. and With the worst Boston accent I've ever heard. Is that what he's supposed to be doing? I didn't even... I think so. I don't know. If it's Boston or New York or something, it's really neither, but it's terrible. <laughs> yeah, Amy Adams was the first choice, according to Villeneuve. I mean, I'm sure directors say it all the time. But we've talked about this yeah. before, well before we started this podcast series. Like, I think that this is the best work Amy Adams has ever done. The fighter is the best work she's ever Yeah, done. we talked a little bit about that last week. I just... Yeah. When when this movie came out, I don't know if I expected it to be as great as it is with her as, like, the main person. She's a fairly divisive actor. Yeah, that's weird. I don't, I, I don't know what it is about her. Yeah, she's kind. Of, she's got kind of a... People love her or they, or they don't. And I say that, though, I, but I do feel very medium about her. <laughs> I think she's quite... I think... I actually think... This could have been a great Emily Blunt movie. He should have said, wow. "Sorry about Sicario. We forgot to put you in the movie." That actually, let's, let's give you a <laughs> oh, ride. man. Yeah, that actually would be. That could be good. I mean, I just love Emily Blunt. She would be great in anything. Yeah. And she does that whole "I'm tired, but I'm working hard" thing. She does that look really well. <laughs> I think she could have killed it. Well, yeah. I mean, so the the thing, the reason I think this movie, along with being the best of his movies, can be very instructive is. Blade Runner 2049 is going to be a sci-fi movie, and this is his only sci-fi movie, and he nails it. So it, yes. it makes me optimistic. We, we were talking about this a little bit off the podcast, but he does he does sci-fi movies or genre movies that aren't really genre movies. They're, they're like character pieces and emotional stories more so than the genre that they're in. And the original Blade Runner is a lot like that. I was reading some stuff that he is obsessed with the original Blade Runner. And he loved. He said this. He said the that script is the 2049 script is one of the best he's ever read. I think I think that there's reason to have hope about the 2049 that he's going to be in it. Yeah, we'll, we'll especially with seeing what he can do with sci-fi. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit. We'll talk about that. Our hopes and dreams for that a little later. But but yeah, I mean, in the special features I was watching on that Blu-ray, he was talking about how this movie made him realize how insanely difficult sci-fi actually is, building worlds and. <laughs> creatures and civilizations and drawing humanity from it all and like you just mentioned that's what's really amazing about this movie is despite how surreal it is on like every level it really is just a human story about connection and communication and choosing to live in the face of confusion and impending doom basically yeah imminent death (laughs) truly inevitable death yeah it's so yeah, let's just let's get into it with the. Uh, oh, right. I, I do want to mention too, Max Richter. Did you notice at the beginning and end of this movie? Did you get any like vibes that reminded you of any particular HBO shows that we talked a lot about? Twelve Leftovers. Yeah, because Max Richter, who composed a lot of the music for The Leftovers, actually does a song that they use at the beginning and end of this movie. Basically, the sequences with the daughter. So it kind of has that same, like, almost... leftover vibe. I don't even know how to describe... I'm not good enough at music to describe the vibe that he has, but it's like it's like you're in a coliseum. Like a, like a soundscape? <laughs> yeah. Is it a soundscape? But, like, it's, like, romantic and terrifying and 
beautiful and sad at the same time. He has a he has a way for that. Anyway, this movie is about a linguist who has to help translate whatever message the aliens might be delivering when they arrive on Earth. Where where do we even start? Where should we start with this? Should we start at the beginning or just what what is the beginning? <laughs> yeah, let's start with the aliens showing up. I think that this is comparatively, relatively a probably the most accurate what would happen if aliens actually showed up and just sat there. <laughs> just movies. sat there. Like we have Yeah, that's the yeah, thing like about these aliens. Few... They come and they're spaceships that are shaped like weird pebbles or something. Yeah, they look like the rocks. They look like perfect skipping stones if you yeah. next to a lake or something. Yeah, and their spaceships just kind of float 30 feet above the ground in like 12 different locations around the whole world, and everyone just freaks out. Yeah, the previous title for me was Independence Day, <laughs> where the government tries to communicate, but everyone turns into a giant party. There's people on standing on rooftops, and they see the ships floating above the town, and they get super excited, and then, of course, they all get uh, evaporated by the giant alien lasers. But this one is... Basically, the, she's like the last person on Earth to find out that there are aliens. She's sitting in the classroom and all of her kids find out before her. This had that Jake Gyllenhaal I thing, too, where her entire backstory... Jake Gyllenhaal from Prisoners, I mean. Where right. her entire backstory is conveyed so simply. It's like someone who studies yes. communications but is like deeply alone. Right. Like She knows everything like, there yes, is to know about language, but she's just sitting at yeah. home drinking wine. Yeah. And they they do lay that on a little bit at some point. I think when she meets Renner, they have an exchange that's like, hey, let's tell the audience what these characters are. And it it, it works better than, uh, than it some of the does. Sicario stuff. Yeah. Renner says, there are communication traps you keep finding that I didn't even know existed. I guess that's why I'm single. Oh, yeah. And then she's like, trust me, you can understand communication and still end up single. <laughs> Yes. But I did want to mention with her being a linguist and her lecture and stuff, this felt like, and there's no way this is what Villeneuve was doing, but I like to think that this is true. She starts to give a lecture and has to cancel it because the aliens arrive and everyone's freaking out, so they all leave. It made me think, like, we've talked a lot about Villeneuve using lectures to, like, layer on his themes. Be way on the nose. Yeah, yeah. but... For once, no one came to a Villeneuve lecture, and it didn't get to happen. Yes, <laughs> I know. I was actually I was gonna say that as a as a positive for this movie. He doesn't have anything that's super like I'm explaining to you what's happening. Maybe it does. It's just so complex that I'm not I'm not picking up on it. But the lecture she was about to have was about Portuguese, and she's like, so basically the Portuguese. This is why they're different from the other Romantic languages. Yeah, she just like, says okay, like language was seen as with... as an expression of art, and then it just like yeah, that's it. Yeah. And like, thank you. We know that this is going to be a movie about communications and aliens. Like, she's a linguist. Yeah, I mean, we... <laughs> yeah, we get it. Like, it's fine. You don't have to go. So I'm glad somebody told him that between the last movie and this one. Yeah, it just cracked me up. It felt like that. a really meta thing to me when she showed up the day after to class as if nothing had happened and there was no yeah. one in class. Like, it felt to me like, <laughs> nope, time to explain the whole movie. And then like, oh, yeah. no one's here. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like, she's like, ah, I was going to tell her. It would be funny. I actually thought it would have been legitimately funny if she just, like, started teaching the class anyway and started talking. <laughs> she just... Like, like yeah. Villeneuve's going to get his, his overt symbolism out of the way early. I, I think the worst line in the movie... Well, actually, we'll talk about the worst line in the movie. But when Forrest Whitaker first shows up to get her to come help translate the alien noises, uh, he's yeah. like... You're on the top of everyone's list when it comes to translations. 
and I was just like, okay, yeah. <laughs> we, we get it. Don't pretend like there's a whole working list, you know, just like, she was the first person, it's fine. She worked with the, the Malays, Malaysian people. Whatever. I actually do like, and maybe this is the cheesy thing to like, but I love the line where she's like, ask him what the Sanskrit word for war is. And then she explains later that it's basically... I want, we want more horses or something. Yeah, but how did Forrest Whitaker corroborate that? That's what I never understood. Because he's like, oh, the other guy says it means this. And she's like, actually, it means something with cows. Right. Oh, uh, yeah. The, so the other guy says it means an argument. And she's like, actually, it means a desire for more cows. Does that mean like Forrest Whitaker knew the right answer? Or I think he it, just likes I her answer it, more? Well, neither of them, like, I think, I think the point is that or hopefully he understands this, that she's going to have a more diplomatic, like, I guess, like, the argument could be made that either of those are technically correct approaches to it, but she, her, what she's saying is that her approach to language isn't going to be about understanding things through the complex of war conflict, but through diplomatic, let's solve this together type thing. Wow. You just made this movie even better for me. Right. That's, and, <laughs> <laughs> but what's that? Because the first time I watched it, I was like, that's stupid. I don't understand that. And it's stupid because I don't understand it. But now I was like, oh, you know, I think I might get it. It's a diplomacy thing. And then later she talks about how the Chinese tried to uh, establish their vein of communication through board games and competition and chess. Right. And, and she's how, like, oh, that means the aliens like, think it's all about winning and losing, right? Yeah. If you give them, if you give them a hammer, then everything looks like a nail or whatever. Yeah. Now, like, before we get to the, the the test site itself and all that stuff, and and right. Renner. Right. I, I want to do like a Chris Ryan, like Jeremy Renner scream. <laughs> <laughs> Renner! Yeah. He's so... Okay, uh, hold, hold on. Okay, wait, hold on. on. Before wait, I get to Renner, I do want to say... Okay. Before all of this, there is a sequence at the beginning of the movie that is unbelievable. It's like a perfect little leftovers vignette, basically. Like, a, like the beginning of Up. You know, something like that. Yes, that's exactly what I was going to compare it to. And it's basically this whole sequence where, like, she has all these little moments with her daughter, and she has this narrative overlaying it. Like, I used to think this was the beginning of your story. Memory is a strange thing. It doesn't work like I thought it did. We are so bound by time, by its order. And uh, I remember moments in the middle, and this was the end. But now, and, like, her, it shows her daughter dying of, cancer or something and yeah rare disease yeah some rare disease and now i'm not so sure i believe in beginnings and endings there are days that define your story beyond your life like the day they arrived so like it's like this really amazing sequence with like all these beautiful shots and like her walking down the hallway on that tracking shot after her daughter dies yeah and yeah it's really like i'm just i i remember that sequence from the first time i saw this movie but knowing the quote-unquote twist Watching it the second time, I was like, this is just unbelievable. I was floored. Yeah. It's one of those time tricks in movies that works so brilliantly because the the whole premise of it defines what happens or whatever. Like, the entire language is that circle. Is the Like, there's no beginning or end, really. It's just one thing as it is. And so the fact that they tried to implement that with the movie is brilliant to me because it changes the entire way that you see her. Because when you see the movie and you're watching it linearly, like those monolingual English people that we were before watching this movie, it looks like she's just sad and lonely and depressed after her her child dies, and she's like goes into this whole project as post yeah. her child dying, and that affects the way her character is. So the twist... All... Uh, spoilers or whatever. Um, yeah. But the twist, for those who don't know, is basically... And I, I actually would argue that even if you haven't 
seen the movie, you might be better off knowing the twist. It's sort of fun to watch it both times, but I think it's way better knowing the twist anyway. So what happens is that sequence actually, on a linear level, takes place after all the events with the aliens. And this is what also is even more brilliant, which is what I was about to say. Like you're talking about, it fits into the theme of the alien language being time as a circle type thing. But it also fits into like the entire philosophy behind this movie involving that. And also, while it works within the movie, it works outside of the movie onto the audience as well. And like in those features I was talking about, there's one that's about the philosophy of this movie, basically. They talk about how physicists and scientists and whoever have been studying time and trying to figure out like how the past and the future and the present like relate and scientifically speaking they're all they all carry equal weight at all times because they all exist at the same time like past present future i won't try to get into the nitty-gritty of it but theory of um, what's really cool about it is they talked about this idea of like humans only know how to perceive things in a linear way where something happens at the beginning and then something happens in the middle and then there's the end. And they use that as like a trick in this movie where they're unveiling the way the alien language works. They're also unveiling the timeline of Amy Adams's life more specifically. But what you don't realize is your mind automatically just assumes that that happened at the beginning because of how it was presented to you. Right. And that's what was cool watching the theorizing and stuff. It's like, a scientist might watch this movie or, or someone who studies this stuff might watch it and be like, huh, I wonder when that takes place. But like, you, you don't yes, even think twice right. when you watch it. You're just like tricked into like, oh, so that happened. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just one of the, it's another cool thing that fits perfectly into like everything with this movie. It's just super fun. <laughs> to the point where I actually think it could have been, they, they could have gotten away with um, putting more of the sort of giveaway about what the, the twist is in the beginning where like uh, the big when the big reveal happens and we start to see those clips from the beginning extended into her what she's talking about as the aliens and her dad is Jeremy Renner and like but they do it kind of subtly. I think they could have moved those things and put them in the beginning and just tried to sl- slide them past us. Like if she had been making those aliens out of clay and showed us that in the beginning, those opening clips, I think they could have gotten away with it. Yeah, they probably because they, the, they pretty much do I, because there's one point in the middle where the daughter's like. Oh, it's oh, mommy and daddy, daddy talk to animals. Talking to animals, And, yeah. like, at that point, when you already know, you're like, how did I miss this the first time? It's yes, so obvious. Because yes. I think those are the best tricks where the ultimate trick in a show or a movie is when you go back and watch it a second time and think, I'm an idiot for not Oh, like, major this. spoiler, but, like, The Good Place on NBC is, right. like, the same kind of brilliant where, like, you're so trained to think a certain way that you never for a second even think that, the twist that happens in the good place can happen. But yeah. and to me, to me or uh, the the best one in my opinion is uh, in Arrested Development season three, when you find out that Charlize Theron's character Rita, I think her name is, is is mentally handicapped, and they show you that after like four three episodes of showing her hanging out with Jason Bateman, <laughs> and you go back and watch it, and you think literally the fact that she has a British accent made me think that she wasn't <laughs> mentally handicapped. But yeah, that's to me that's the ultimate, I guess, successful twist. Even though this movie isn't really about the twist, and I think that they could have made it less about the twist if they had put some of those really revealing things into the beginning. But that's just like a, a little yeah. Nitpick, so here's but. basically all that happens in this movie: aliens come, Amy Adams and Jeremy Renner go to Montana to help translate. 
they meet with the aliens a bunch of times. Some army guys get angry and try to blow the whole thing up one time. And yeah. then <laughs> Adams and Renner return. Well, actually, more specifically, Renner figures some stuff out. Adams goes back. She solves the whole problem by herself. And then you find out that the events at the beginning of the movie are actually at the end, and it all fits in with blah, blah, blah. Although the movie is simple to describe in that way, like... Well, there's also the whole, the aliens came to give the hum- humanity weapons so that humanity can save the aliens in the 3,000 years. Yeah, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, it's it's just the kind of movie that it doesn't seem like it's made anymore. Like a self-contained, amazing sci-fi story mm. that like works perfectly in and of itself and doesn't demand a sequel. Actually, I don't even think a sequel right, would make sense. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Unless they no, unless... you're actually wrong. Three thousand years from now, <laughs> that is going to be the freaking movie. If that's not what Blade Runner twenty forty nine is about. Then Arrival fifty forty nine. Yes. Yeah, but okay. I, let's talk about Renner because we've talked a lot yes. about Denis Villeneuve movies being unfunny, for lack of a better word. Like, and this is why <laughs> they're just like very serious, and there's not really jokes in them or a lot of levity in general. I think watching this movie, I realized why Jeremy Renner is so great. Because with that full context of Villeneuve information in my head, I walked in this movie and like he made me laugh like six times just by being Jeremy Renner. Like the way that he reacts to things and the way that he talks to people, like there's something about him that like he just has a like a a personality that makes him entertaining in a way that sort of transcends the, the seriousness of Villeneuve movies. Yeah, I, I'm i torn on Renner in this movie. I, I think he's fine. I could have used about 80% less of him, though, I think. Hmm. I think there are parts where he is light and it's fun and it's, and it's good and everything, and I'm never really against that ha- existing movie, especially if one as serious as Villeneuve likes to put out, but... Uh, there are points where, like, his his little rambling and his charm, quote-unquote, gets in the way of some of the more amazing uh, scenes in the movies, like, or in the movie. Like, I think the whole scene where they go up into the egg is one of the most amazing... Oh, like the first visually, time? Yeah, is one of the most amazing scenes. And his whole bumbling along thing kind of takes it away from me. Or I think if that's just, like, if there's no audio, there's no... Or no, there's no uh, dialogue... If there's no nobody speaks, if it's just a, if they go com- for complete silence, all the way up until they really talk to the aliens for the first time, I would have been okay with it. I think it would have been a better. I movie. actually, and I think it would have been more. I, I could take or leave him like falling on the way in or whatever, but the thing that really worked for me this time watching it was, like you're saying, that sequence is unbelievable. Like, yeah, I had to stop taking notes for like for like ten minutes straight yeah. so I could watch yeah. that because. Them going up into that thing and the gravity like shifts in a certain way and mm-hmm. it's like this big long like tunnel with light and like it built it we talked about building tension in Sicario. The moment when the aliens make themselves visible and the way that the score plays into it, like, oh my god. Yeah. It's I chilling. could watch that ten minutes on a loop for the rest of my life. Yeah. It's the best ten minutes in movies in, in a really long time. And so I think that he it it could have Well been... but what I was gonna say is the the thing that works for me is there's like five solid minutes of just like tension and awe and wonder. And then like for me, like right at the perfect moment, Renner comes in and is just like, holy f***. Yeah. And I, like it's just it like it, it, it works for me in a way where I was like, oh, yeah, that's how I 
feel right now. Um, well, that's the thing, though. Like, I, I know how I feel. Like, I, I don't need Renner to tell me. See, I, think I like that, though, just because I, I like does... his I like his role in this movie as, like, the counterbalance to Amy Adams. Like, it's the basic, like, science versus language kind of... Science versus art, almost, is how I would phrase it. I, they don't really play up that theme too much. He doesn't do any science. <laughs> he never does his job. Well, he solves the whole thing while she's asleep. Okay, yeah, forget it. He does one math equation. But... <laughs> My point is, I think that that... I think this movie is most like 2001 A Space Odyssey in a lot of ways. And I think that something he could have taken from Kubrick's decisions in that movie is he could have made silence go a lot farther as far as dialogue goes, where nobody says anything in, in 2001 until like 45 or forty-five minutes or an hour into the movie. <laughs> I think that, which is insane, and ultimately it's a fairly, un, like, it's a notoriously slow movie. But I think that that... that what it does is it has the confidence in its own material to where it doesn't need the the crutch of somebody commenting on something in a movie. At the same time, I think the sound design utilizes silence in this movie in a way that is like, unlike a lot of current movies and like really effective. Oh, I totally, yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And I think that like, that is one of the strong suits in this movie and it it sets it apart from all the other movies that came out. And I, that's like, I think it's the best movie of that Oscar batch, but I think it could have gone even further in, in relying on its own laurels, resting on its own laurels. Is that a phrase? I think, I think so. Um, <laughs> and I think, but I think that they do that where that problem comes through the strongest is with Renner's character, kind of playing the, the commentary on things where I'm okay. Just being blown away by the, the shots and not having what, what Renner thinks about the things. I disagree because I think you're proving the movie's point in some way where, and I'm just, I'm just going to play devil's advocate because I love this movie. Sure. But I I also love this movie. <laughs> but I also disagree because I think this is a movie about how human language isn't effective enough to communicate the things that humans could actually have the ability to communicate. And I feel like that's sort of exemplified in a lot of the talking that happens in this movie, where like that sequence that we were talking about is so effective like Sicario, it's effective because, like, like in the way that Sicario is effective because it has nothing to do with the violence itself but the build-up to it, like, that sequence is effective because there's not someone the whole time being like, so now when we jump up here, the gravity is going to change, and then when we go up there, we're going to wait for right, them to, that's like... that's what I'm saying. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. Like, the, the ultimate commentary on the sort of in the in like imperfect imperfection of the English language. So it would be to not have it and to say like the, by communicating this entire thing without using English language at all, instead of, well, I guess what I'm saying is I feel like the, the humans being deeply flawed is such a big part of this movie that it kind of makes sense. Although I didn't think of this at the time, but based off the way you're talking about it, like it kind of makes sense for the humans to like ruin that beautiful moment just by being humans. (laughs) Is sort of what I'm trying to say, but yeah. I, I don't think it's a reason to ruin it. Though, <laughs> as long as we agree that the that it is ruined by humans, I don't know. No, I, I I just think I think that it's it's an easy thing to do to put that that Jeremy Renner almost like almost on the verge of like T.J. Miller, sort of like commenting on things that are going on. I feel like you're over and... <laughs> you're uh, overblowing how much he talks in this movie. It's not like it's not like he's constantly like saying stuff. He says, I just think that when it happens, it's used to fill space almost. Like, what? What's his character like? That's the best that's part a good about point. him is that he takes a back that he takes a back seat to 
to Amy Adams. I do like that about him that he kind of is just like we're not going to go too far into this guy. Yeah, I guess I guess it just the levity worked for me in the context of how dark and serious most of his movies are, where like I enjoyed having that sort of almost audience surrogate. Like when he takes his suit off and walks up to the screen or whatever, he's kind of like, well, everybody dies, right? And then just kind of does it. And I, I my guess is yeah. that's a moment that probably annoyed you that didn't annoy me. Yes, I think I maybe my my problem is just an argument against having audience surrogates at all. Yeah, like we're the audience. We we don't need a surrogate. We're there. <laughs> we're, we're watching. Here. <laughs> yeah, like I like I don't think I'm gonna not understand what's happening just because Jeremy Renner's not telling me what's happening. That makes sense. I mean, uh, but agree to disagree. What did you think of yeah. the? Uh, it is interesting. They have that whole sequence, and the aliens show up, and then they cut right out of that first interaction they go right back to the base and then they go up a second time later i'm interested why you think that was the move there i don't know it was kind of jarring i guess it's like a wrench back into reality almost like waking up from a dream it's almost like a that's the way to do the transition from surreal to real is to make it feel like you're being jarred awake a little bit because i think the initial sound and sight once they go from being up there in that like chilling and mystifying and slow moving ship is instantly there in a really busy shower like the spraying of water is the first thing you see in here which it's it did like, exactly in Sicario too right <laughs> didn't remember uh the house blows up at the beginning and then blunt is watching that guy crawl and then it cuts right to her in the shower yeah i think you're right yeah and it worked then too yeah maybe just do that every There's time something about that like yeah seriously <laughs> there have been a lot of scenes in prisoners where it just cuts to paul dano in a shower Oh, I guess he wasn't a shower getting sprayed. Oh, wow. That was dark. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff in this movie that's just awe-inspiring, like we're talking about. This is definitely one where, in the spirit of the movie itself, whatever we say about it cannot possibly do it justice. Because it definitely accomplishes that goal of, can we convey more feeling and meaning than is actually possible in written language and i feel like this movie does that in a way that actually makes it succeed in the context of what it's about which is cool mm-hmm. i agree what do you think of uh forrest whitaker's character in this movie i actually since we were just talking about renner i was thinking about how like all the characters don't mean much to me in this movie like amy adams works like i, I like her character but right everyone else is kind of just what's less than one-dimensional like, that's what most of the other ones are. Non-dimensional. Like, a single point. Like, just a point on a plane. Like, the guy from Halt and Catch Fire who decides to blow up the yes. ship is, yes. like, such a bad character. And, like, there's, like, one scene yeah. with him on the phone. And his wife's like, oh, my God. Ah, we're so scared. Ah. Yeah. And then yeah. he's like, that, don't worry. Like they, yeah. They just inject a certain amount of, like, conflict that feels like it was injected in there. That was the part that bothered me the most the first time that I saw the movie was the part with the army guys trying to blow it up because i was just like this is so dumb but honestly given everything that's happened in the last year i was gonna (laughs) say that felt oddly topical (laughs) especially when he's sitting there listening to basically the the arrival world's version of alex jones (laughs) yeah the the guy listening to the computer somehow i think we've talked about alex jones like three times during our (laughs) denise series yeah well he's a literal character I thought that if they had, that's an interesting sort of angle, and that's one of the things I liked about this movie that is sort of realistic, is the way that people react to some, to this completely unknown, different, fearful thing coming into the world. I think if they had worked on that a little harder, it could have been really cool. 
the whole the way that the soldiers are reacting to this thing and it eventually leads to them trying to blow it up themselves. The thing I do like about it, especially given the state of the world, is like the first time I saw this movie, I think my mindset was more along the lines of I mean, come on guys. If aliens landed, I'm pretty sure humans would get past their differences and come together. But with that new context, like I was just kind of watching it like more pessimistically, I guess, and thinking like Yeah. Like, oh, here comes another divisive thing. Yeah. Like the NFL. <laughs> but, like, I was watching it and just thinking, you know, the idea of humans don't actually change in the midst of a crisis is, like, a really powerful thing to think about. Right. Because I think we like to think that, you know, if if the stuff really hit the fan, we would, like, get past our differences and figure it out. I'm not trying to get political, but it was interesting to think about, like, you know what? It was Villeneuve basically saying, I don't think we would be different. I think we would be worse. <laughs> I think... Yeah, it excites Yeah, it excites what you're already... It's like, you don't change when you go to college. You just become the, the real version of yourself or the more exaggerated yeah. version of yourself. It's kind of like that, where it's like, whatever differences we would have would be excited and exaggerated more so. Because it's fear. It's like, what does fear do to things? It, like, it magnifies things instead of bringing people together. It does make me think the, move, the version of this movie where the ending is dark is interesting yeah what is that like though what happened how does that work like what is the ending is it do they just start nuking all the eggs <laughs> and amy adams like oh man i had this cool secret i don't know i mean i guess in the context of the aliens know the future and came to help humanity like it wouldn't really make sense but right. i just think it's interesting that idea of humans actually worsening in the in a state of crisis and like driving the world to destruction while all the aliens ever wanted to do was bring peace. Ask for it, yeah. It's <laughs> an interesting thing to play around with. It wouldn't work with well, this movie specifically, but it might. it's an interesting thing to think about. Nobody yeah, steal that idea. And it's funny, yeah, the arrival to <laughs> just... <laughs> also, up. the idea of this entire movie is based on, hey, you know what they usually skip over in sci-fi movies with aliens? The fact that we probably wouldn't actually be able to communicate with aliens. And that's yes. what this whole movie is about. <laughs> right. I love that. And, like, the aliens themselves aren't really that important to, to people here. It's just, like, the, the concept of them, the alienness of their aliens is, what's, is what this movie gets after. And it's also interesting because the aliens are here soliciting help. They're not... I mean, they give us a weapon and stuff, but they're really just... They are coming to mine resources from us, essentially. Yeah. They're basically they're they're begging us for help, which makes it interesting that they are like so willing to cooperate and stuff. Where it seems like this a little too good to be true type thing for the longest part of this movie, which really freaks people out too in the movie. Where it's like, why haven't they blown us up? Why? What do they want? That's basically. sort of what drives the plot. Is like, oh god, this this is about to go haywire. Right. Yeah. And so it's like it's ingrained into this movie that it's gonna have a relatively happy ending. Or at least a not the world blowing up or us killing all the aliens type ending. Is that they actually, they legitimately need something from us. And for the first time in Hollywood history, the thing that they need from us isn't to just kill us off and use our Earth as Yeah, that's a great, resources. that's a great twist on it, for yeah, sure. I appreciate that. It's, it adds to the movie. Yeah. I also love the idea that we think, and, and despite all the surrealness and awe and wonder of this movie... You would say, oh, if aliens arrived, the world would change forever. But the world that they present in this movie with the news clips and everything is basically yeah. 
not that the world would change, but just that aliens would just be another thing on the news. Yeah, it would just be a new a new bit for Saturday Night Live. It would be a new ticker at the bottom of every CNN story. It would just be it'd be part of every Donald Trump address. So it would just be a new Which, thing. It would be used as analogies. And, when you think about it, it plays into the theme of the movie even more of, like, right. past, present, and future are all the same. Like, nothing ever really changes. You know, yeah. alien, even with aliens, we'd still just be humans. Yes. Which is really interesting. This whole this movie is fascinating. Like even as we're talking about it, like I just keep having different ideas pop up into my head. Right. Like it's it's just such a cool. I just want to watch it again over and over. Yeah, and I'll say like this isn't what's not different about this movie in the context of Denis is that like he's still trying to do his. I'm gonna make a commentary about all of society while still trying to do something really human. But to me, this is his most effective, where they're kind of inextricably tied. And the thing that he's making commentary about in such a grand scale is actually really, really intriguing and not that tired. Like, Incendiate, was it called? Incendies? Incendies. His his commentary that, like, society is too violent and there's a cycle of it is, like, yeah, we get that. Like, we know, (laughs) obviously. This is sort of more fresh and more interesting and you can think about for longer. And on the personal side of it, with Amy Adams and her daughter dying and with Jeremy Renner and, like, do you choose to live through something horrible so that you can have a certain amount of time with the good is a really interesting concept too. Yeah. This movie is like 99% perfect movie. And the 1% of course is Forrest Whitaker's accent. I actually, I was thinking the 1% is Jeremy Renner at the end saying, let's make a baby, baby, huh? Or whatever it is. So you want to make a baby? What do you say? So you want to make a baby? Are you in or are you out? It's just like I kept turning that line over and over in my head. Like, could they have not come up with a better way to say that? Like, yeah, that was the ch- that was the Taylor Sheridan came in as a script doctor, <laughs> and he was like, "No, nah, no, nah, get all this." He's like, "No, no, no. What you don't understand here. is women are for making babies, and that's it." Yeah, that's what they're for. <laughs> so if you, this is gonna be cool because we're gonna ask if she wants to make a baby. That's what. That's all the rage these days. Yes. yes. Oh God. Oh man. Yeah, no, th- this That's movie is just so good, and it works so much better when you know what's going to happen at the end, because it makes every Amy Adams decision so much more, like, increases it in magnitude so much. Right. Mm-hmm. So powerful. Like, I do want to ask you, I think the only thing we haven't really talked about, what is scarier, Spider-Wife or... Oh my gosh, or Alien in Alien your in your bedroom. <laughs> Because they had very similar looks to them. One had seven legs, one had eight. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. They definitely got the same CGI company to do both. It's like, yeah, we've we've done this before. Let's just run it back. That's a great question. I think Spider is scarier. Because at this point in the movie, she's already met a bunch of times. They're cool. They're good. I mean, they're fine. Aliens. Still is terrifying when the alien shows shows up up in your your adventure. Yeah, which we come to find out is only half of the alien. Oh yeah, that I forgot about that too when I was rewatching this. I forgot that what they see in that little window is yeah, just like a part of the alien. Yeah, the actual. Because I when I I had that kind of thought when I watched the movie the first time of we never really get to see the tops. Is it what I originally thought was necessarily, but I thought it was one giant alien with two hands. Oh. Just crawling along like this, but no, I guess not. I guess it's just two normal sized aliens. Oh, also, speaking of just one more thing on all these different philosophies and theories we're talking about, we didn't even talk about the most basic human thing that this movie is about, which is the idea of 
being able to see your whole life from start to finish and deciding to live it anyway. To live it anyway. Like, that, that's yeah. fascinating. And what's interesting, and I don't think he meant this in a political way, even, but Villeneuve was like, I don't, I didn't mean for this to be like a pro-life movie necessarily. Because oh, yeah. I guess a lot of people were like, oh, see, that's what this is. And that's not, that's sort of a different conversation, I think, which is why I think that misses the point. Because I think that reduces it down to like one specific <laughs> one specific debate about life where I think he's trying to go for it in a much grander way. That's like literally like if you knew your future and you knew something bad was going to happen, which leftover style is a microcosm of what we all do know, basically that like, Oh, there's one thing we all know. It's that we're going to die, but we choose to live anyway. And it's like a microcosm of that, but it's also, she knows what's going to happen to her daughter. And that's a fascinating idea that we've barely even talked about because there's so many other fascinating ideas in it. It also leads to Jeremy Renner's second best line of the movie, where she says, if you could change one thing about your life, or if you knew you could change something about your life, would you? And he says, I'd say what I feel more. <laughs> get out of here. Get out of here. What are you talking well, about? Well, you're forgetting right after that, too. He says, you know, there's a lot of surprising stuff about this whole thing. And it, oh, my god! The most yes. surprising thing, it, it wasn't meeting them. It was meeting you. It was meeting you. <laughs> yeah. Like, come on, get out of here. You're terrible. Um, it's funny we keep we keep yeah, like lightly a, criticizing things and then saying that the movie's like perfect. It's just like incredible. <laughs> yeah. We just we like focusing equally on the one percent and the ninety nine percent. Yeah. I think yeah it does it is one of the most interesting parts of this movie, especially getting rewatched it the second time, is that she so easily chooses. And this is probably one of the best parts about Jeremy Renner in, in this movie, and or at least his function as a character is that he openly is like, no, it's a bad idea. Right, it drives them apart. Yeah. Right, and so I don't know. I don't know. Like, I don't even know if Denis is saying this is this is what I think is the better thing to do. So much as he's saying there are two ways to approach this. I mean, I guess by putting her in the driver's seat and putting us with her, he's kind of saying it's worth it, sort of. Yeah, because it's sort of the idea, like like leftovers, like the ending of leftovers, which we talked about. And no one will ever ever hear. The ending of leftovers is pretty much the same thing, where it's like. You know, the world can be terrible and random and we don't know what's going to happen and it's probably going to be bad stuff that happens, but the experiences and having each other is what makes it worth it anyway. And that's 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 a pretty ripe idea right now for entertainment, I guess, right. because of how yeah. fractured the world is. Yeah. And I wouldn't say it's this movie was made in context. I mean, I oh, guess no, it totally works outside of context, context, but you right, know, it, right. it, it works both ways, I think. You know, sometimes yeah. movies get lucky like it just the timing of something makes it bigger than it needs to be, you know. Yes. And I think if this movie had come out this fall instead of last fall, it would win Best Picture. I mean, last fall's last fall is pretty pretty topical too. Well, what day? I mean, like it might have come out literally the weekend after. I think it did actually, but I think people were that's crazy. People were more excited to have Moonlight represent that than anything else. Yeah, that's true. Anyway. Gosh. That there are some other things I wanted to talk about just with the aliens real quick. Yeah. In those special features that I mentioned on the Blu-ray or whatever. Villeneuve talked about how <laughs> when they were designing the aliens and the spaceships and stuff, one of his basic ideas, and the language also, one of his basic ideas was like that science is really arrogant to think that it knows everything or can know everything. So, <laughs> yes. and his quote in the in the interview was, that pissed me off. <laughs> <laughs> so so he intentionally wanted to make the aliens as surreal and 
unthought of as possible. <laughs> so like everything in this movie, and this is what's really unbelievable about it, is done in a way that I've never even in my wildest dreams thought of before. Like the right. way the aliens look, like we were just talking about, like huge with like seven legs and like weird and the sounds that they make are very surreal. And mm-hmm. it's just the everything that went into this movie. Like if you go watch all the special features that they have, like like here's a tidbit. The sound design team hiked a mountain in New Zealand for three days so that they could find this one bird that makes this weird sound that they wanted to use just for part of the alien sounds. That's the difference between sound editing and sound mixing. Right <laughs> Who's willing to climb mountains in New Zealand for bird sounds? I think that's what, like, I think that their concept, or at least their approach to the way they, they created the aliens in this movie, is part of what makes it so revolutionary and amazing, where they completely deconstructed what we just, what we think about as aliens, where we already talked about, like, behind their whole motive and their entire approach to life and how they invade Earth is different. But the way that they look, the way that they sound, the way that they speak is so you have to completely deconstruct it back down to the most elemental levels possible. Where she, one of the best examples is when she is on the, when she shows the, on the whiteboard, the sentence, uh, what is your purpose on earth? And she's like, well, for, for people to, or for the aliens people to understand that question, they first have to, we have to, we have to know if they're sentient enough to, to know anything more than the instinctual, like purpose for why or whatever. And all that, I can't get into it because I'm not a smarter. I don't remember yeah. it that well. But basically, like, everything down to the way that they sound, the way that they look, the way that they speak has to be deconstructed completely outside of our traditional human ways of doing things. Because every alien movie, and even this to some degree, has it through the lens of we're humans making this thing, so we're going to have we're gonna inject them with certain humanity that they may not have if they come from other parts of... Like, even the whole concept of wanting something from somebody... Is like not something we could even expect from something if it came out from the depths of yeah. space or whatever. And so I, I appreciate that they had they completely started from scratch and were very creative in the way that they built it back up into a new alien. And the idea that the language is not even anything like a language like ours, that right. everything is conveyed in one logo. One like it makes our language instance. seem very yeah. inefficient and useless. Like right. very linear. Yeah, we have to go yeah. through all these words to make stuff happen. The other cool things I wanted to mention, Johan Johansson, like a, one of the sounds he uses in the movie, he talks about how he recorded it just by using the tail end of a piano note. So you know how the, there's the initial sound and then like the ringing that comes after? And he would right. cut off yes. the initial part and just use the ringing part to like loop in a bunch of different sounds. And he got like all these choirs to make all these. They were recording these people singing and they were sounds but that I was words. like, how do those sounds come out of humans? Right. And uh, that's pretty cool. I mean, the craziest thing to me about this movie is the production design, I think. Mm-hmm. Because, obviously, the visual effects, too, with the aliens. But not only did they build that entire ship, like, they built a whole tunnel. They built the entire area where most of the scenes happen. Patrice Vermette and his team actually created the language that the aliens use. And they show some screenshots in the documentary on the Blu-ray, like... He had pages and pages of, like, each section of each circle and, like, what it meant and what the curls meant and, like, what this or that meant. And, like, it blew my mind to think that there was that much devotion to something Jeez. just for it yeah. to be part of the movie. Like, I really highly recommend checking out some of the uh, behind-the-scenes stuff in this movie because it will make you think that this is the greatest movie ever made. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. Cash. Yeah, human... human language cannot describe how good this movie is we have to use heptapod speak 
All right, well, I'll just edit in some heptapod speak here at the end then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was going to say, um, the they have a pretty good sound exploder on Johan Johansson's song in Arrival. Oh, song exploder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sound, song exploder. Yeah, they have an episode of the of the title song, the one where they, where like you can hear a woman singing uh, basically incoherent syllables yeah. as like the main driving beat for it. They, they do that song on song. Exploder. It's funny. Yeah, that's a good podcast. They, they have a really good s- series from last fall, actually, on yeah, movie, movie soundtracks and stuff. We were talking about silence being utilized. I actually, when I rewatched this a couple days ago, I was at work listening to the soundtrack on Spotify, and there really is a lot of silence even in the soundtrack. So, like, right. I was like, come on, I thought there was more to this. Yeah, yeah you're, like, constantly turning it up. Like, yeah. <laughs> but it actually, that's what's... That's why it works so well in the movie because it's so subtle and so effective. All right, let's let's just uh, let's end this so we can go watch this again. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> I'm gonna do another podcast of the of the rewatched rewatch arrival. We're gonna do an eight podcast series just on Arrival. Um, we're gonna pick it apart, do different aspects of Arrival. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're gonna have a whole podcast series for each different factor: the score, the visual effects. I mean the CGI in this movie is so good where it's like this is how this is how I think computer generated images is that the acronym for CGI computer generated I don't know uh, should be used in movies it's really it's in, in shrouded in shadows it's very minimally used it's in the sort of background it's surrounded by realism that and like, it looks that's real that's how I think you should be doing it and you're not doing human faces Star Wars <laughs> And Pirates of the Caribbean. Stop doing that. Stop it. <laughs> yeah. Because you the goal is to make it look real. You don't want to look at Avatar for three hours. You want to be looking at actual... You want to lock on to actual good... Like, actual real stuff. So I think that, that as far as CGI goes, this movie will age well because of how they executed it. And you know what, Sam? I can't think of a better movie to end on in our Denis 2049 series. So how do you... Uh, and we'll do... I'm sure we'll put this on hard copy, too. But how do you rank them? One to eight. Oh, wow. Do I have to do that right now? Yeah, off the top of your head. I want, And they can change between here <laughs> and, the, and the written out version, but I want rattle them off right now. Okay. Gut instinct. Arrival's number one. Okay. Prisoner's number two. Number three, Enemy. Mm-hmm. Four, Sicario. Okay. Five, Polytechnic. Six, Incendies. Seven, August 32nd. Eight, Maelstrom. Maelstrom eight, huh? Wow. Probably because I didn't understand it. <laughs> I was going to say, that's like the, the most cemented thing. I think I agree. I, I'm going to have the same thing. I, I will say I'm surprisingly only, close would... to flipping Polytechnique and Sicario, but... Interesting, but leaving... Let's see, leaving... Oh, are those two right next to each other? Yeah, I, I would have Sicario okay. for Polytechnique 5, I think. I was going to say I would either switch Enemy and Sicario, Polytechnique and Sicario. I just I think it's... Easily Rivals number one. Easily Prisoners is number two. Easily August 32nd and Maelstrom are the two bottom ones. So there's only really four <laughs> that you can actually play with. Uh, but I think I agree with that. Incendies is an order. interesting one because when you watch interviews with producers and writers about Denis Villeneuve, they always mention Incendies. Like in the features on the Arrival disc, people are constantly talking about Incendies. Like I must have heard it mentioned five times. Producers are like, oh, when I saw Incendies, that's when I knew I wanted to work with this guy. Or the screenwriter's like, oh, they sent me Incendies, and that's when I knew I wanted to work with this guy. <laughs> and it's interesting that that movie plays such yeah. a such a crucial role 
in other yeah. people's perception of him. Which is why I think in context, movies like Incendies and Polytechnique should go would go higher because he does so much more with a lot less, especially Polytechnique. Right. He basically just has like three cameras and a, four, and a few actors. And I think that that goes a lot farther than like Sicario was almost like is almost a disappointment. Yeah. Because of because of how how good it should be and how good it could be, and it just ended up so Sheridan-y. I, I was going to say, if you put it on that scale, I, I would almost definitely I, put I would, Polytechnique above it. Yeah, and maybe yeah, even three or four. Yeah, so that'll be... Wait, so but are your rankings like the same it. then, pretty much? Yeah, I would definitely do Arrival, Prisoners, Enemy. Enemy, Sicario, and Polytechnique are like the next tier for me. And then the tier below that is just... Wait, did I say Incendies on that middle tier? No. I'll put that at the very bottom of the middle tier, and the bottom tier is the other one. So now the question is, where will Blade Runner 2049 go? I know that it's two hours. If we're including the trailer, it's number one. <laughs> yeah. Actually, having rewatched Arrival, I would say the Blade Runner trailer is at least number two. Okay. But fair. yeah, all I know basically is it's two hours, 43 minutes long. I haven't really seen anything about it critically. I, I don't actually, I don't think I want to know. I think I just want to go in there. After all this, I just kind of want to yeah. let Villeneuve wash over me. Do yeah. <laughs> yes. What do you think? You, do you think it's going to be uh do you think it's going to be a success, or are you ready for a letdown? I don't know. I'm, I I think we're due... No, we're not due for a letdown. We're due for we're due for more good crap. I think that Sicario is the closest thing we're going to get to a letdown, and it was still pretty good. Well, the other reason yeah, I'm I very think. optimistic, I think... I mean, I'm hesitant like anybody, but sci-fi sure. always has such a big margin of error for me, where, like, yeah. I love Interstellar just because it's so cool, and yeah. I feel like... Given how perfect Arrival is, I'm not expecting that. But knowing that he knows how to do sci-fi and how to really attempt a sci-fi movie, it gives me high hopes for it. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not too concerned about being let down. I don't think that that's really gonna. Like, I think I'm just gonna go in. I think I honestly think I'm just gonna really like it, no matter what. I don't really see a way in which I'm not gonna love it, or at least really, really like it and really appreciate it. Like, I think right now, pretty much no matter what happens, it's gonna be at least top four. We'll see. I said this after we talked about Sicario, but this series itself has definitely put Villeneuve in a place for me that's really exciting. He's one of yeah. my favorite directors now after doing this. Right. And even after Blade Runner, I'm just very excited to see whatever he comes up with. I feel like Arrival being his best movie is a very mm-hmm. exciting sign going forward. Mm-hmm. And there's no, like, I'm just interested because there's no, like, next thing on, on IMDb yet for him. Yeah. He's, he's not in pre-production or anything that we know of, or that he has signed on to or anything. So I'm interested. And Taylor, his birthday is in two days. He'll turn 50. Wow, really? Yeah, October 3rd. Oh, so his birthday when this is comes the out. day... Denis Villeneuve's birthday is the day we are posting this, October wow. 3rd. So if you're listening right now and you're near him, <laughs> give him a wish. Give him a birthday wish. Well, our birthday wish is that Denis, come talk to us, right? Come, come hang out with us yeah. on our... On our podcast yeah, that we did just for you, to us. <laughs> just for you, yeah. as a gift, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah, no, this has been really great. I think we we might have a little bonus episode later this week that I still don't want to spoil, but please don't. When it shows up, it will. But it'll be spoiled. In the meantime, that's it. That's all, folks. That's everything. Go see, uh, go see Blade Runner 2049. Go see Shape of Water. That's why we do, we're doing this. The Guillermo del Toro podcast that never was. Oh, how about that? Yeah, that doesn't come out for another two months, though, right? 
Yeah, yeah, that's true. Man, we could have gone a lot slower with this podcast if we had just picked GDT. <laughs> oh, well. You, you win some, you lose some. I'd say awesome. we won this one. Yeah, for sure. Lots of good movies. So hats off to Denis Villeneuve and hmm. everyone involved in August 32nd on Earth, Polytechnique and Sandy's Sicario Enemy Prisoners and Arrival. <laughs> I thought you were going to stop after August 32nd. It's like, it's everyone involved in August 32nd. <laughs> no, I just intentionally left out Maelstrom. That was all I did. Uh, yes. Yeah, so that's all I got. For the last that's time, you'll got. never hear Sam Hensel's voice ever again. Nope. I'm going into death process. <laughs> we didn't job. even talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> that was such like a brush. Like, like why, why did that happen in the movie? I have no idea. I couldn't tell you. Did they just not want to pay the company, the, the uh, animation company for... 10 more minutes of, of a second yeah, they, which is entirely they possible. They couldn't afford to build two of them. Yeah. Probably. I don't know why he didn't just say, like, Abbott's in sleep process. Yeah. <laughs> Abbott's in vacation process. <laughs> Abbott's in paid vacation process. <laughs> that would be hilarious. Oh, man. All right, we'll Sam. Well, All right, thanks man. for tagging along. This has been... Of course. Thanks for having me. This has been Denis 2049. So I guess after Coming all this, you better go see Blade Runner 2049. Yeah. We'll be back for at least one more episode to talk about that. Yeah. Bye, everyone. Goodbye, and you know what? Embrace your future. Your future is really just your present. Which is also really just your past. Which is, at the same time, your future. Okay, hopefully Levi is bearing my voice <laughs> on this guitar today. All right, goodbye. Bye. Foxworthy Podcast.